All right, since last time we talked, we talked about the, um, the final two epics or minor epics that came between the Iliad and the Odyssey. We talked about the sack of Ilium as well as the returns. And during the returns, we talked about who made it home. Uh, there was, a, as we said, a quarrel between Menelaus and Agamemnon, which leaves Agamemnon being, or rather, Menelaus being hit by a storm which takes him down to Egypt, which will effectively keep him from being able to help his brother when his brother needs him most which is when his brother makes it home and is killed by his wife. And I suppose that is about where we ended last time. And I'm not going to go into this very much because during the course of the Odyssey, we are going to get this story. And especially in book four, when we talk to Menelaus, are we going to get to know this story more? And even in book one, and the very first things that Zeus says when speaking to Athena on Olympus, we will have Orestes in the story of Agamemnon mentioned. And so Agamemnon makes it home. Did I, did I mention this last time? Clytemestra, at least if you ever read the old play called the Agamemnon, drapes a purple carpet down the road for him, or down the way from him, so that he walks on purple. Now purple is, we know now, a royal color, but was at that time a divine color. So if Agamemnon were to walk on purple, it would be as if he were saying, what about himself? That he were like a god. And perhaps his wife Clytemestra would want him to make such an admission. Did you recall all the way back to the beginning of the semester? To the very beginning, even before the Iliad. The Achaeans were stuck on Aulis because Agamemnon had made Artemis mad at him for some reason. Either he had killed her sacred stag in a sacred garden of hers and then bragged that he was a greater fighter or a greater hunter than she were or he failed to sacrifice to her or his father did what was it again that he had to do in order to get favorable wins so that he could make it to troy kill his daughter he had to sacrifice his own daughter iphigenia and recall did he ask for his wife's permission to sacrifice her or did he deceive and trick his wife he did deceive her. Does, do any of you, I'd be very impressed if you could recall this. Do any of you recall exactly what the deception was? Because it was a nasty, nasty lie. Because he got her hopes very, very, very high and then dashed them very low. Yes? Uh, he said that their dog was going to marry Achilles or they were going to get him together. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. I'm just sitting here and thinking about that. The lie was, your daughter is going to marry Achilles, most eligible bachelor of this generation, which would make Clytemestra feel how, as a mother? Extremely happy and accomplished, right? Right, she's done her job perfectly. But what is actually waiting for her daughter Iphigenia at Alice, a husband-to-be who will make her happy and produce a family, or her own death? Her own death. And so we thought all the way back then, we might have put a little mental note there thinking, hmm, how do you think this affects the relationship between Clytemestra and Agamemnon? Well, what do you all think? Just very briefly. Agamemnon deceives his wife in order to bring his daughter to Alice, where he then sacrifices his daughter without consulting his wife and in fact lying to her, how do you think she feels about that? 
fairly unhappy. Perhaps very unhappy at first, but maybe if they'd had time to talk it out, maybe something could have come about of this. But what is it that Agamemnon went to do for 10 years after this? He went to fight a war. During those 10 years, what do you think happened to the anger of Clytemester, yes? Possibly festered and turned to hate, yes. Yes, there is a story that even in order to acquire Clytemestra, he had to kill her first husband and uh, child from that marriage, so potentially even more underlying the story. But so, this is what happens. There is a man named Aegisthus. Aegisthus was raised alongside Menelaus and uh, Agamemnon, thinking himself their brother. His father, however, is not Atreus, but Theestes. I believe that's his name, Theestes. I, I could be getting that wrong. I'll look it up. And if I'm getting it wrong, I will change it soon. He was then, Aegisthus, sent out. And the details of this story, I might miss one or two, but we can get them straight soon. He was sent out in order to murder someone he thought was his uncle, Theestes, who was actually his father. When that man, or he, drew a special sword out, he recognized that that sword belonged to the man who was his father, and thus the man who was called his uncle, who he was supposed to kill, was actually his father. He then returns, this Theestes, to kill Atreus for the attempted murder plot. That is how Atreus comes to lose his land, which then sends Agamemnon and Menelaus off to seek wives from um, King Tyndareus, who then gives Agamemnon an army to take back his homeland. He then kills this Theestes character, and Aegisthus is banished. Now, the problem with that is that Aegisthus is still alive, and Agamemnon has left Argos for ten years. Mycenae for 10 years. During this time, Aegisthus comes back. And he knows that Clytemester is fairly disaffected with Agamemnon. And so what does he do? Well, he decides to seduce her. And she takes him as her husband. And he even helps to rule alongside her after Agamemnon's death. And so... What is it that they do? They plot the demise of Agamemnon. Agamemnon comes home. The purple carpet is laid out for him, sort of like how we lay out the red carpet for our actors, as if they are some sort of sacrifice for our eyes. And so Agamemnon sits. And there are a couple of different ways that this can happen depending on the play that you read. But he sits in his great hall waiting for dinner. What comes out from the doors around him? People with knives. And supposedly, the person who stabs him and finishes the job is Clytemestra. And she refuses even to close his eyes at the end of it. And so, I will tell you soon a story of what happens after this. The story of Orestes and the vengeance taken. But now you know that for all Agamemnon's flaws, the flaw that finally gets him was lying to his wife. Yes. Does Orestes only get uh, vengeance on how do you pronounce it? Clytemnestra or Aegisthus? Aegisthus. Or does he get it on Aegisthus and Clytemnestra? This also depends on the account you read. But the idea is both, both that he directly, by his hand, 
does justice to his mother, executes his mother. And he will pay a tremendous psychological cost for that. The Furies will come after him. Even though he is doing his duty as a son to his father and as a prince to the crown because she has usurped his throne with uh, Aegisthus as well. That said, she's still very much his wife. His mom, right. And there's a, in the, in the Clytemnestra, and I think this is Sophocles' version here, she actually, she actually argues with him, and she, she does get into his head a bit before he attacks her. She's like, would you do this to your mother? Who bore you? Using all sorts of psychological machinations. It's a very, very uh, um, uh, dynamic scene. Very dynamic scene. A lot of emotions at play there. All right. And so, uh, and I think I misspoke in the last lecture. I think I said, or, uh, Clytemnestra kills Agamemnon. Orestes will then kill Clytemnestra and Aegisthus, just to make sure that that is straight. And then finally, after all of that action, Menelaus makes it home. Well, let's begin the Odyssey then, now that we're ready, now that we've spent all this time between. And remember, 10 years have passed again, so we have to catch up again, just like in the Iliad. So, intro facts about Homer's Odyssey. Lecture one. Begins in the 10th year after the Trojan War, so just the Trojan War, or the Iliad begins in the 10th year of the Trojan War. So we now have another account of what happens 10 years after the Trojan War. So lots, has ha lots have happened, and we will, again, it seems like part of life is living it. The other part is learning what has happened while you've been living it and while you haven't. And so we know that Aias the Lesser, Aias the Greater, and Agamemnon are all dead. Goodbye. Two of them died at Troy. One of them died the moment he got back from Troy. Diomedes, Philoctetes, Nestor, Dominius, Marianes, and Menelaus all get home safely. I suppose I should also mention that Paris, Achilles, Thersites, and Phoenix are also dead. We know that. Menelaus, we know, was blown off course to Egypt for seven years. And when we meet him in the fourth book, he will not have forgiven himself for a host of issues. He will not have forgiven himself for his brother's death, and he perhaps will not have forgiven himself for all the deaths of his friends, now heroes, at Troy. Perhaps Troy was a dream that now he has woken up from to a life which is far more like a nightmare than the dream ever was. We will see him as perhaps a shell of a man, perhaps a shocked man, perhaps a traumatized man. And so Odysseus, we want to know about him. We don't get a lot of information about him because that's what everybody wants. Everybody at Ithaca wants to know where Odysseus is. When we get to Menelaus, we'll see he wants to know where Odysseus is. When we get to Pylos, where Nestor is, we'll see that he wants to see where Odysseus is. Where is Odysseus is like the great where is Waldo question of uh, this day and age. Yes? Is it like a Star Wars? Well, get more specific with the question later. Probably the answer is yes. Star Wars is based on archetypal or mythological uh, frameworks, and even explicitly so. Even explicitly so. George Lucas studied, studied under Joseph Campbell, who studied under Carl Jung, who did a lot of work to connect psychology to mythology. Yes? So all the heroes that came back in Troy, they all kind of like just split off? They did. They went back to their homes. 
and went back to their homes. Remember, they're all from different places. But they all been with Caesar for a while. That's right. That's right. And so that's something about going home. You're no longer around all the same people. And so I think you're starting to see that there's sort of a gloom to that, right? It's sort of like after you leave a party or a sporting event. You're around everybody. You want to get something done. You want to see it all. And then you disperse, right? And then you're no longer around people. And then you're, what is it you want now? To do it again, right? To do it again. Except for now your friends are dead, so you can't do it again. So, sorry, Menelaus. All right, all right, all right. So Odysseus is trapped on an island named Ogygia with a nymph named Calypso. The name Calypso comes from the Greek word kalyptane, which means to cover. We have a tree called the eucalyptus because it is a well-covered tree. So he is covered. He is hidden somewhere. He's like the truth or something like that. And so... He's been with her for seven years, and in fact, he's been gone from Ithaca now for almost 20 years. He was 10 years at Troy and now 10 years at sea. And well, in the last three years, the young men of Ithaca, Neritos, Wooded, Zakynthos, Dulichion, same, all the islands around Ithaca, well, they've decided that Penelope is a rather fetching maiden and that Though she's getting a little older, it might be wonderful to marry her, especially given that she was once married to this great man, Odysseus. And so they have started to press their claim. There are 107 of them, I believe, with 12 servants between them. And they come every day on rowboats in order to court her. And how they court her is in, I would say, a fairly ineffective way. They play games, listen to her singer, and drink wine and eat her food and make fun of her son while sleeping with her maids. They conduct themselves in an atrocious, very non-Zinia upholding way because is part of the guest host relationship to come into somebody's house and take all their things? No, that's like doing what to them? Stealing, robbing them blind, that's right. The Zinia means you bring something to the table when you come to the table, right? They feed you, you bring them what from outside? Information. That's exactly right. That's exactly right, yes. In their culture, like, would Penelope be, like, uh, I guess forced to marry one of them? One of expected to? Sort of. Sort of. The expectation, well, here's the situation. If she does not marry one of them, they will continue to stay at her home and eat the wealth that should be her son. So if she marries one of them, she goes off to their house, they leave her son's house, her son can grow up and be strong. So right now, she's stifling her son's development by staying at home, but also she doesn't move on because what does she not guaranteed know? Odysseus is dead, so she's torn apart. And here's the other thing. Do you think any of these men who are suitors who did not go to the war are anywhere close to the level of Odysseus? No, and she actually explicitly says that. She says, the thing is, like, coming to one of you schmoes after being with Odysseus, it's just how am I supposed to deal with that sort of going down in rank? Yeah, no, and in fact, one of the suitors, when he fails to string, there will be a contest laid on, a contest of strength, where the, the men try and string a bow, and one of them... Afterwards, he'll fail, and he'll be like, this is just stringing the bow. I couldn't even string the bow, let alone shoot it. This is Odysseus's bow they use every day. He's like, gosh, the worst part about this is just knowing how much weaker I am than that man. It's like, gosh, how much better was he than all of us? We will actually get to see how much better he is 
than those suitors. Don't you worry. Do not worry. It's sort of like it's the Odyssey in structure is very similar to the Iliad in that in the Iliad, who were we waiting to see fight the entire time, and then we finally got to see it at the end, and wow, was it magnificent. Achilles. But even then, it wasn't just his fighting that caught our attention. I bet that when you tell people about this story when you're older, you don't focus on how much stronger he was than people, but you, you focus on his, the mistakes he makes afterwards, how he treats Hector's body, and how he has to be reprimanded even by the gods. Well, it'll be the same with, the, with Odysseus. You'll want to see him fight. You won't get to see that until very, very late, but you will get to see him in action the entire time. You'll see that with Odysseus, it's less about going out on the battlefield and making an immediate impact with a weapon. It's more like laying out a very long and detailed and intelligent strategy and being able to take it step by step in order to get what it is he wants. And perhaps we will see that our culture is modeled off of Odysseus far more than it is off of Achilleus. We like to generate strategies that are long-term, that we follow step-by-step step in order to actually get what we want. All right, good, 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 good. Okay, main characters, let's talk about them. And we get our theme. Here's the theme, first and foremost. There are several major themes in an epic, of course, but this is a big one in the Odyssey, and perhaps we'll lay it as a hypothesis that it is the biggest one. And you can tell me whether you think you see a bigger one. Here it is. Nothing is as it seems. Constantly, we will see disguise and subterfuge and cover use, cover in words, cover in clothing, cover in, in, in look and feel. Uh, Odysseus will often say that he is somebody that he is not. He will sometimes appear as somebody he is not. He will appear as a beggar amongst uh, those in Ithaca. He will appear not as who he is to a, cy a cyclops with very one-sided and one dimensional a one-dimensional ability to see. And so we will really fill out this theme as we go on and notice when is it that we think we know what it is we're looking at, but we don't actually know what it is we're looking at. And perhaps that can be a theme for your life, because how often do you think it is that you actually know fully what it is that you're looking at at any time? Possibly never. And if you never fully understand what it is you're looking at, what should you constantly be doing? Looking for it. Learning. Searching. Seeking. Like the seeker in Harry Potter. That's right. All right. So here are some main characters. Obviously, it's called the Odyssey because it's about Odysseus. We don't get to hang out with him until book five, though. We will get to hang out with his son. Possibly you will think that's not a very fair trait. Telemachus is the name of his son. His name, uh, Tela, just like telephone or telescope. Uh, telescope means long uh, lens or faraway lens, or you get to see through something which is far away. Telephone, phone, voice in Greek, tele, far away, so far away voice. Well, Telemachus, makos means battle, so he's born far from the battle. He is a teenager, and he is very similar to you. Though he is getting to be adult age, and though there are people who are his age, like Orestes, who have become adults and have taken what is theirs, he's not yet there. He's got um, arrested development, you might say. That means that he's just not as far along as he could be. And so part of what this story will be about will not only be about Odysseus making it home and living out his destiny, but Telemachus 
becoming the person he is supposed to be, blooming into the flower uh, or, uh, of a man that he is supposed to be. He's going to have to become the next king of Ithaca. And right now he's just sort of a surly, gloomy, complaining teenager who nobody believes will ever achieve anything. Sound familiar? Well, we'll see what he has to say about that, and we'll see what he shows us. Penelope, wife of Odysseus. First thing to know about her, cousin of Helen, very, very smart. In fact, you might have been wondering, how is it that she kept 107 men away or were off her for three years? This is how. She's very smart. She's clever. She sends notes to them, and she... She makes each of them think that she might like them a little. But this is what she did. She came up with this idea. She said, listen, suitors, when they first started showing up, knocking on her door, I'll marry one of you. This is that Odyssean-level guile. But you have to let me finish making this web, which is like a shawl, for Odysseus's dad named Laertes. Because now he doesn't live around here. He lives out on his farm in the roughs of Ithaca, he actually sleeps on the ground and wears an ugly hat. It will be described as an ugly hat that is hateful to its wearer. And we'll have to think about that. We're like, is it, a, is it like a hot hat? Does it smell bad? What makes a hat hateful to you? My hat, my hat for Frisbee has sweat stains. Maybe that's hateful. I still like it. In any case, you'll say, I need to make this web. And when I finish, then I'll marry one of you. What do you think she never intends to do? Finish. And so at night... All day long, she's been making the web. What do you think she does at night? She unstrings it. But one of her loathsome serving women, who is laying with one of the suitors, is going to find out that this is happening. And go, tell one of the suitors. And then they're going to be like, we know what you've been doing. We know what you've been up to, Penelope. They're going to demand that they marry her. And that's going to be right around the same time that Odysseus shows up on Ithaca, though nobody will know that he is there. But he will see all of this unfolding. And I will do that thing where I tap the tops of my fingers together, like Mr. Burns or Sherlock Holmes, and say, hmm, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? Because there will be layers of meaning. We will understand what's going on on one level. Odysseus will understand what's going on on another level. And... The suitors and Penelope will understand it yet another level. Yes? Wait, so will this be short if the going Penelope is not in Ithaca? That's correct. That's correct. It will take Telemachus a little bit of time to make it back to Ithaca. But yes, that is funny. Yes. And in fact, when Odysseus gets back to Ithaca at first, and perhaps you will recognize what this means, he doesn't even recognize it, which means that sometimes when you come back to the place that you once called home, it doesn't even look like home, right? Even though the reason why it will not look like home is not because of progress and subdivisions being built like in America, but because there's a fog going on there. But perhaps your parents have said that to you at some point, that they do not like how things are now because they are different from when they were young. Can you guess who will also say that sort of thing in not in, in maybe 15 years? All of you, because how much do you think everything around you will change with our rate of progress and the wealth of our nation? A lot. A lot. And fast. And fast. Good. Okay, a couple more people to mention, and then we're going to cut it off for today. Eurycleia. Now, this is important. We didn't see a lot of main characters in the Iliad who had minor roles. That was, what were most people in the Iliad? 
major warriors or heroes or captains, right, or counselors. That's not going to be the case in the Odyssey. We're going to get a serving woman who's going to be a really, really big, big helper. In fact, we're also going to get um, we're also going to get a a, a pigs, uh, a swine herd, as well as an ox herd, as well. And uh, Eumaeus is the name of the swine herd, and Philoetius or Philetius is the name of the ox herd. We'll also see a goat herd. We won't like him. His name will be Melanthius. He'll kick Odysseus, not knowing that he's Odysseus. Can't wait to tell you what happens to him. Wait, like herders or like herders? As in a herder, a herdsman. And so we're going to get figures in this story that are very, very low rank socially. They're very, very high importance narratively. Two things about Eurycleia. She was the nurse of Odysseus, which means she was like his mother. She's also the nurse of Telemachus, which means how well does she know Odysseus's family? Super well. She's the abuela, essentially. She knows everything that's going on. She is highly trusted by both Odysseus and Telemachus. Both of them will give her secrets that if she were to reveal them would cost them their lives. I want you to keep that in mind. If she gives up the secret of Telemachus or Odysseus, they will both give her one very important secret. They will die. How much trust is that in somebody? As much as you can give. As much as you can give. Very good. All right. We will see plenty of her soon. The next two people I want you to look at with a sneer. Everybody put a sneer on your face. Oh, you don't like it. Yeah, you pull up a little on one of the cheeks. You start to growl a little. Antinous and Eurymachus, they're the two leaders of the suitors. We don't like them very much. And something just to let you know, Antinous is how ungrateful he is. His father was taken in by Odysseus' father. And Antinous was raised in Ode- uh, alongside Odysseus's house by Laertes, which means that his father owes everything to Odysseus's family, which means he owes everything to Odysseus's family. What is he now attempting to do? Take Odysseus's wife while eating all of his food and drinking his wine and abusing his son. Yes. Going back to how Antinous was uh, in Odysseus's house, was he? Uh, Phoenix that was in house? Yes, yes, very similar sort of situation. Phoenix was also a, a given land by Peleus in um, in Thessaly or Melosi, the I, the lands of Achilleus, and he was brought on as sort of a vassal after he had uh, made a mistake with his father and his father's concubine. That's right. That was the sort of thing that was done by a good lord, given being given land. Land being given to people who were exiled, who had skills, who could work the land. And so that's sort of what happened with Antinous. Now he's not very grateful. Eurymachus? um, Eurymachus is the one that will find himself far weaker than Odysseus. He's considered a bit oily, um, uh, Eurymachus. Oily means that he's got very charismatic, smooth words, but he's got sort of a sickly, Grinch-like soul. He's... He's an ugly person on the inside. He's a beautiful person on the outside. He has all the vestiges of being a noble person without any of the choices. Well, he has risen to the top of the suitors for a reason. He does seem to be fairly deceptive. Yes? He's not a sociopath so much as he knows what he wants. He will lie to Penelope's face saying that he and the other suitors will protect 
Telemachus as they plot Telemachus's murder. So just to give you an example, just to give you an example, he will lie to Penelope's face saying, we will, we would never hurt Telemachus. We'll protect him forever. As on that same day, he helps to orchestrate a plot to kill Telemachus. And so is he a sociopath? Actually, is it actually a fairly good question? Possibly so, possibly so. All right, all right, a couple more people just to mention. Mentor, so you might've been asking, you're like, well, who is left in charge of the home if Penelope is a woman and cannot rule and she has a son named Telemachus who's supposed to raise the boy while Odysseus is gone? Well, they have an old friend, servant, called Mentor. And yes, you're like, oh, in our language, what is it we call <coughs> a guiding figure who is not related to you, who spends time with you and sends, tends to care about you? A mentor, right, that comes from this. Mentor was left in charge of the house. The only reason why he can't keep the suitors out is they're very strong and young, and he's very only one of him and old. And so he is part of the, re he is one of the people that was charged with taking care of Penelope and with, um, and with uh, Telemachus. Good. Okay. I'll talk, oh, look, I have Eumaeus and Philodius here. We already talked about them. Laertes, former king of Ithaca. One thing I just want to mention about that is, why does it, do you think that Laertes, though he was the king of Ithaca, <coughs> is no longer the king of Ithaca, and his son is, even though he's not dead? Perhaps he stepped down. Perhaps he stepped down. I'm forgetting the, the word for that right now. I'm being very forgetful. Right now, what is the word for when a king steps down? Yes? Uh, no. Not resigns. That is a good oh. word for, yes? Abdicates. That's very good. That is the word. You abdicate the throne. Yes. Or potentially, and this is just a little minor theory, possibly wrong. You can look this up. I wonder if Odysseus didn't trick him out of the throne in some way or another. It is possible that he stepped down. Something must have happened at that time. I just want you to be attentive to that fact. All right. All right. All right. And the last big character who's going to be very big from the get-go will be Athena. So what Athena is going to do is she is going to get the ball rolling for this story in two ways. First, she's going to talk to Zeus on Olympus and say, Odysseus has been trapped for seven years. Can we free him, please? He gives good gifts. What has he done wrong? Zeus will say, go ahead. <coughs> I don't mind Odysseus. Fine. As long as Poseidon's not too mad at him. And I will explain why Poseidon is mad at him in the lecture tomorrow. The next thing she does is goes down to Ithaca and she says, Telemachus. She'll do this in the form of a guy named Mentes, who's just come from the sea, and she'll say, Why do the suitors act like this in your house? You should go give a speech to the townspeople and say, Hey, townspeople, are you sick of the suitors? Well, one thing we could do about these suitors is go find information about Odysseus. Because if Odysseus is alive, then the suitors don't need to stay in this house because the person they want to marry is already what? Married. Married. <coughs> and she'll give him advice to do this. She'll inspire him, motivate him to move forward. And in fact, she'll help him get a ship. She'll help him outfit the ship. And then he will have Eurycleia help him put food on the ship um, so that he can go visit Pylos, which is where Nestor is, to get information about Odysseus, if he has any. And then to go to Sparta to see where... Menelaus is to see if he has information as well. Yes. Wait, are Pylos and Sparta on the same part of land? They are. You can't. 
they are close enough to each other to either sail from one to the other or to use a chariot to get between one and the other. They're close enough. Ithaca is off the mainland. So you have to sail from Ithaca to Pylos, and then you, we will take a chariot from Pylos to Sparta. Yes? Do we need to hear about any heroes from Sparta in this? Like, besides Menelaus' birthday? Um, you will not hear about the Spartans as they become when they fight against the Athenians, which comes a couple hundred years after when the story was first told. Um, but you will hear a little bit about Menelaus' son, Megapenthes. Um, but not too much, not too much. He will be marrying someone called Elector's daughter, and we will hear also that his daughter Hermione is getting married to Neoptolemus. Though whether Neoptolemus can keep him from or keep her from Orestes will be <sighs> very much uh, subject to dispute. All right. So tomorrow we will get into the actual action of one and two, and well, that's good for now.